Hello, and welcome back to Podcast, the number one podcast for product teams. If you're a fan of the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating and review. It means a lot to me and helps others find the podcast too. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Kayla Lee. Kayla is currently a growth PM at IBM, working in IBM's quantum group. And we had a great discussion on how IBM approaches go-to-market with cutting-edge technologies like quantum computing and how reducing the barriers to entry is one of the most critical aspects of scaling adoption. Let's get started. Hey, Kayla, welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Excited to be here. Yeah, th- thanks for coming on. So, Kayla, to kick things off, could you give the listeners a, a quick introduction of yourself and-, and what you're doing today? Sure. Hi, my name is Kayla Lee. I work at IBM as a growth product manager uh, focused on growing our community via partnerships. Um, And so what that means is we have this really great open source platform and community that are using our quantum computer. And I'm focused on developing products and partnerships so that we can get more people using them. Very cool. So I recently uh, watched a, a round table um, with, with a group of folks around uh, quantum computing and specifically around some of the things that, that IBM is doing with, with quantum computing. And one of the things that, that stuck out to me was that one of the, the panel members said that quantum computing will create a deep disparity between first movers and fast followers. Can, can you elaborate on, on why that is and what's unique about quantum that makes this true? Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest things to remember when thinking about quantum computing is that it's a new model of computation. Uh, And oftentimes the market thinks about it as just a a better or faster computer. And it's not that. Instead, it's taking advantage of these properties and quantum mechanics and actually solving problems in a different way. And so because of that, people that are fast followers won't have the ability to actually do the research that it takes to kind of understand what makes it different. They also won't have had the time to to really dig into some of the intricacies that make quantum computing different from classical computing. So there's been a debate for for several decades around the benefits of first movers versus fast followers. Do you think even outside of quantum that the future of go-to-market in regards to all new technologies will belong to the first mover? Not always. I think that whenever we look at technology curves, right, we, we have a good idea of the benefits, the, the early investment, the, the IP that often comes with the people that are, are moving first. But fast followers benefit too, right? You can leverage a bit more of mature technology. Uh, you can see the mistakes that people have made before. I think at the end of the day, it really depends on outcomes. So if you're interested in leveraging really great mature technology, but you know that that might mean that it'll cost a little bit more, right? You're at this as a service platform. Then maybe that's different than people that are focused on on research and and more fundamental things about new technology. So I think it definitely depends on what your your goal outcomes are. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, along those lines, one of the things mentioned in the roundtable was how you know any new invention or innovation needs to have utility, right? And so mm-hmm. um, e- even someone who's first to market might not fully capture the utility that could be brought out in a new product or new innovation. So 
Um, but along those lines, right, any new invention or innovation that, that is brought to market, um, the, there needs to be low barriers to entry. So, and like the ease of use needs to be there, right? Like it needs to be easily adoptable. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about validating that this breakthrough technology will be adopted and usable when brought to market? Like what, what is that validation process like? I actually think that's our, our big question at IBM. So oftentimes we say we, we want to get folks quantum ready. Um, so what does that mean? It means going through and understanding where the tech is at now, where the, the users and the personas are at now, and then asking what are all of the steps that we need to validate that this is a product ready for market, uh, to validate that this is something that people care about. Um, and I think what we're doing at IBM is cool because we're, we're addressing that from all parts. So what does the student need so that they can start getting ready for quantum computing so that that can be their job in five years, right? And that's extremely different than what the chief innovation officer needs to validate that this new technology might change their business challenges. It's also different than the classical developer that's maybe at a company, maybe they kind of like what they're doing now, but they're interested in the next new thing. Uh, and so what do they need? And that's, that's one of our big questions. So what we've done is we've made quantum computing accessible to everyone. And that's our, our first main goal. If we make it accessible to everyone, um, how does this accessibility change who's playing with it and what they're learning from it? And now that it is available to everyone, what stepping stones do we need to take to get them onto the platform? And we know that it'll look very different based on your background, based on your interests, and based on your goals. Cool. And do you think some of the, um, like the approach to it is, is instead of like driving home certain use cases, we, we just make it available and see what the market does with it? Or do you think there's better places where quantum fits than others? There's definitely places where it fits better than others. Uh, we'll be the first to tell you that it's, it's not the, the silver bullet for any problem that you have. Um, and, and I think that this also depends on your persona. So when you're thinking about the enterprise industry client, they absolutely want it to be grounded in use case. They wanna know how it's going to impact their business challenges. They wanna know when, and, and they wanna know how big of a difference is it compared to some other technologies. That's very different than what the student or the researcher is thinking about quantum computing. And there's space for both, and we actually need both to move the ecosystem forward. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, like, how do you how do you go about making sure that regardless of which persona you're making um, the platform, you know, quantum ready for, like, fits existing mental models? Is there, like, you know. In, in the field research where you're, where you're talking to these these folks like on a regular basis or like what, what does that look like kind of at a, a, tact, a tactical level? That's a good question. I'd say that the first is is kind of like you said, what sort of barriers to entry can you remove? Um, and so one of the big things is in a field that's often been historically home to physicists and academia, hmm. uh, put it on the cloud and, and put it in a space that anyone can access it. And that's actually a huge barrier of entry right there. So now rather than needing to read a research paper to learn about quantum computing, 
I can actually go to a, an online textbook that the IBM team has written and start coding in that textbook environment, right? So I don't even need to open up a terminal or open up a platform. I can start learning by doing right there. And so I think that's a really, really great example of how many different barriers of entry can you remove to get somebody started? And, and once you've warmed them up, then it's a lot easier to do bigger things. So I'd say that one approach is to give people functional stepping stones that make sense in their journey. Yeah, no, that makes sense, especially like in, in the student use case, right? Like they're, they're existing, like meet, meet them where they are, right? They're already in mm -hmm. text, make it available to where they can consume it in a way that they're used to digesting content. Exactly. And I think that the student is a, an easy example, but it also applies to others, right? Researchers in industry, they, they all want to start trying things. And so by removing these barriers and by making things accessible, it's one really good way that we've been leveraging to get people introduced to quantum computing. Yeah, that sounds cool. So th there was a great point in the, the roundtable discussion around cost versus advantage. And I think one of the, the examples that someone brought up, right, is, is that if, you know, quantum was, was a million times better, but a million times more expensive, it probably wouldn't be adopted because it would, it would kind of be a wash. Mm -hmm. So with there, with there being a need to have a much greater advantage in relation to cost, how do you think about the, the cost to advantage um, relationship for quantum? That's a good question. I'd say that we have two, a two-pronged approach. So the first right is making things open source and accessible. And then the second is even when things are open source and accessible, sometimes you want more. And so that's where the specific research services come. That's where the access to premium devices come. Um, so I think the, the approach that we've been taking at IBM is to do both and balance them. And based on your needs, then you can start justifying that additional expense. Got Which, it. So let's, it's like a freemium model? Yes, exactly. Um, okay. and, and, and based on usage and once again, the persona, it'll look extremely different. Okay, cool. And so in along the lines of like cause versus advantage, um, how broadly do you think this could be applied across, you know, industries, B2B, B2C, like how, how should other technology companies view competitive pricing in terms of cost versus competitive advantage? I think there are a lot of things to consider here. One might be the, the idea of going back to that barrier to entry. So if I need a credit card just to get started, then that's a, that's a huge barrier to me, right? I don't want to pull out my credit card for anything. Right. And, and so I'd already need to be, I'd already need that cost to be justified if I have to pay at the start, right? Which is hard in a field where you're still learning, you don't really know where it can be used for. While there is a lot of material out there and the, the content and the space is growing and becoming a lot more friendly, that's still another step that a lot of companies are taking, right? Quantum in itself is a word that scares people. And so we have to make that word 
feel friendly just to get people in the room to get started. Yeah, that makes sense. I think a lot of it seems to come back to that um, that barrier to entry, right? Like how, how easy do you make it for someone to access and, and get started with, uh, especially in, in this day and age with our attention spans being so short, if we don't capture someone quick and quick and easy, it, uh, we might lose them early on. No, yeah, that's that's really true. So there was a really great point about finding the right abstraction level to bring the, the deep technology up to, right? And I think, again, that goes back to the, the ease of use and um, accessibility aspects that we've been talking about. So like, how do, you, how do you find like what that right abstraction level is? Like, is there a level of experimentation or um, like what, what kind of thought or effort goes into finding that right level? I'd say that it's, it's two opposites that at some point have to meet in the middle. So in the early stages, we were definitely taking a, a physics scientist centric approach. And what you realize really quickly is that the people that you want to leverage your platform, some of them have that background, but a lot don't. And so now we're really leaning into this idea of frictionless development and, and abstracting away things so that we can meet people where they are. At what point in your existing workflow would it make sense to add this? How can we integrate this with tools that domain experts are already using so that they simply have to outsource it to the quantum computer for this part and then come back to your classical computer? And so we're, we're working on modifying our platform to be more inclusive of this. We're starting with optimization where we're leveraging some really great IBM optimization packages called CPLEX. And we're saying, you, you don't even need to know the details of quantum computing, but you can know exactly what part of your problem would be great here. So we're doing that with optimization already, but we're also expanding it to other applications in quantum computing. And I do think that that ease and that integration into existing workflows will be extremely important down the line as the technology matures. People don't want to change their entire processes just to get started. Yeah, I mean, behavior change is really hard, right? And I think you you hit on like such a great point that I think is so applicable to, to a broad range of scenarios where the approach that, that y'all took was find out where where this technology or where these applications could fit into like their existing workflows and, and it sounds like th there's a mix of like product marketing that goes into that market research of understanding like what the existing um, customer journey is mm -hmm. so that we, so we can help try to figure that that part out and so um, I would imagine there's there's a lot of cross-functional uh, collaboration that's gone into this effort Absolutely. And I think we're lucky at IBM because we, we work with so many clients, especially in these spaces, right? We work with finance clients. We work with clients that are interested in solving some of their optimization challenges. So we have a firsthand view of what their pain points are. And then there's a question of, well, what steps do we need to take so that the quantum tech can meet them where they are? So access, direct access to, to customers and, and clients are, is paramount to being able to, to accomplish this well. That's what it sounds like. Absolutely. Cool. Well, th this has been 
you know, quite quite a pleasure, Kayla, uh, talking to you. To, to wrap things up, there was a, a statement that if you want to be involved in quantum, I mean, a lot of people like to, to try to get involved and get their hands on the, the new thing. Um, but the statement was that you should start preparing now. So what does that preparation look like? I mean, for, for developers that might want to get involved in the deep part of the deep code of it, it might look drastically different. Um, but for product managers or, or developers who want to start, um, you know, being able to apply the, the technology that's being built, um, what, what does this preparation look like if you want to get involved in the field of quantum? I'd say the great thing about the state of the field now is we're really, really open and friendly and we're actually pushing people to get started. Um, so there's the online textbook, there are videos on our YouTube channel. There's this huge community outreach effort where we're doing virtual hackathons. We, before COVID, had really big in-person hackathons. We're essentially, we're, we're trying to answer that question. How do you bring new people to a field? And our answer is you make it fun and engaging. You make it accessible. And you make it something that people want to do. I think one really great thing we did over the summer was host a global Kiskit summer school that had over 4,000 attendees around the world for free, um, where for two weeks we built a community online where anyone, if they knew some basic Python uh, and some linear algebra could get started. And so I'd say that if you're interested in the technical side, like just get started. If you're more interested on the product side, I, I think I'd echo that. It's very beneficial to have some knowledge about quantum computing, especially the state of the technology. Um, on top of that, in my past life, I was a scientist. So I have pretty good insight to, to researchers and the sort of challenges that they have, um, which I think is also really valuable in just thinking about how do you convert a product that a researcher might find interesting to a product that an enterprise developer might find interesting? And how is that different if you're thinking about a student? Um, so all of those different experiences are really valuable and thinking about what product design looks like, what user journey looks like, um, and then just like overall career growth. And I'd say that we're thinking about it from a lot of angles. So there's the technical end user, but there's also how do you build and leverage new partnerships and, and grow your ecosystem? Um, and so there are lots of overlaps, I'd say, if you're interested in new technology and innovation and education and learning, those are great skills to sort of bring to quantum computing at this time. Awesome. And so Kayla, as, as you've ramped up in, into product management, what, what have been some resources that you've gone to um, that, that have helped in, in your own professional development as a product manager that, that you might recommend for someone who's either aspiring or kind of just starting out in the field? Oh, that's great. Um, so I have an awesome boss who is all things product management. So she's been a really good resource just to talk to. Um, and she recommended the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Reese, which has been, good. yeah, really helpful. Um, like I said, in just framing things. So I was a consultant before I was a product manager, where I feel like a lot of the frameworks in a way are consistent, right? It's now just about adding um, certain processes on top so that you can actually develop this product and get your right stakeholders 
um, in, in that process that I've been leveraging in my journey as a product manager. Very cool. Well, appreciate you sharing that. And it sounds like a mixture of, of mentoring and find, finding someone who may have been in the field for a while to kind of help um, uncover the, the unknown unknowns for you is, yeah. is, is very helpful. And then also looking into like, what, what are the processes of product management? So you can start unpacking that a little bit. Yes, absolutely. And I think I really value the mentorship side. It's nice to have um, that open learning environment where you can be vulnerable to ask questions and learn, um, but also a boss that's, that's sort of willing to step you through some things. Oh, this would be a great exercise to learn this, um, which I found to be really helpful in my early days. Absolutely. Well, Kayla, thanks for coming on and sharing a little bit about what IBM is doing in the world of, of quantum computing and um, how some of the lessons that, that you're learning kind of on, on the front lines of this emerging technology, uh, how they can apply to, to others who are listening and for sharing kind of your advice for getting started or you know, how to ramp up fast. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was great. I was Kayla Lee, Growth Product Manager at IBM. I love the focus and consistency of IBM and Kayla's team in finding as many ways as possible to removing barriers to adoption to ensure that quantum computing is usable and relevant to the market. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly episodes, and I look forward to seeing you next week on Podcast.